Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, Ramiumptum Ruminations. My name is Scott, and I'm the host. Today's episode is called The Revelatory Power of Surveys. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm fairly certain that last week I said that that would be the last episode where I would cover my interview with Brian Harris. After I released that episode, I received a number of of comments from listeners that I thought it warranted another episode, an episode where I'll read some of these comments and give some other perspectives on those interviews and this peek behind the curtain. So today's episode is going to be highlighting some of the responses to my last episode. Starting it off, I'll stick on the more faithful side. One small thing before I get going too far. I announced a couple weeks ago I will be in Salt Lake City for the Fan Expo with my other podcast, The 12-Sided Guys. We've got a booth there. It's going to be a blast. One of the evenings while I'm there, I thought it would be fun to get together with some listeners, maybe grab some drinks, or just get together and and, uh, hang out for a minute. A listener named Brock created a a sign-up sheet where where you can drop ideas of places to get together and how many people would potentially go. That way I can get an idea of if there's any interest in this at all, or (laughs) if I might just be dining alone that night. So look for that in the show notes. And then as it's coming up on on uh, the week of FanX, which is the week of September 22nd, this would be on Friday, September 23rd. I'll uh, post on the Facebook page and maybe mention it in the episode that comes out that week. So for those that are listening off, listening to this off in the future, this is September 23rd of 2022. After I released last week's episode, I met with a close friend of mine who I hadn't seen for quite a while. We get together about once a year with our two families. We'll rent an Airbnb and go and have some adventures. Their kids are the same age as our kids, and uh, we've known them for years, but they moved away. This close friend of mine, he and his family are active believing members. And he and I had an interesting discussion while we were barbecuing for dinner one night. And I brought up some of the subjects of the previous episode that I released to see what his take on them would be from him, him having a believing perspective. I would give, after giving him a brief recap of some of the discourse that I had with Brian and learning about the ins and outs of the correlation department there and the extensive use of surveys, This friend of mine said that he didn't see a dramatic difference between the use of surveys and the way revelation has happened in the past within the church. Now, again, this is him coming from a believing perspective, but what he was, what he was trying to explain was that similar to the way Joseph Smith 
received the revelation of the word of wisdom. The impetus for it was a frustrated spouse who didn't like her husband chewing tobacco with his friends and spinning it on the floor for her to clean. And then the word of wisdom came because of that. You can find various instances where outside influences are what inspired the leaders of the church to go and seek revelation. So from this believing perspective, I don't think that there, I think that there still is room for revelation to happen. It changes it from a revelation ex nihilo, if you will, <laughs> or out of nothing to revelation about the things that the prophets are thinking about. Looking at it like this, the way a believer would ha could reconcile this is by saying that the church uses these, these surveys to get a better gauge of what things they should go to ask God about and receive revelations about. I had a listener, Ethan, say something kind of along the same lines. I'll read what his comment was. He said, your comment at the end about what the church says it is or acts like it is compared to what members actually experience reminded me of an analogy from the army. I was trained in the pre-GPS days when learning to navigate with a map and a compass was a critical skill. They have a saying that when the map and the terrain don't match, you always follow the terrain. As in, if I think I'm on a certain point in the map that is a wooded mountain sign, but I'm actually in a flattened op flat open grassy area that I need to let go of where the map says I am and embrace the reality of where I actually am. This is exactly what you elaborated on for members, that the ones who realize the map and the terrain don't match, but stay anyways, usually end up adjusting or modifying their relationship with the church. I thought that was really excellently worded. Thank you, Ethan. The ideas that many of us have had growing up in the church, being taught things one way or another, when we're confronted with ideas that don't match the terrain as this as, as Ethan was saying, we're forced to make adjustments. And those adjustments don't have to mean that the person leaves the church. It can, but it doesn't have to. A listener named Kenneth commented on YouTube uh, a very similar thing to what my friend had said. Kenneth said, if Mormons are curious about their ability to ask questions to the prophet, Emma asked for revelation, which brought about the doctrine or policy of the word of wisdom. He says, proof that any person can initiate revelation for the church, even if they're outside the Q15. The last comment that I'll read from the uh, more believing perspective is this one from a listener named Sean. He says, in a bishopric I served in, we talked about how information leads to inspiration. I do not find fault in church leadership seeking valid information about the world and the people's opinions, social change, etc. The church changes very slowly. Those longing for change and those struggling with change both feel the pain in different ways. I believe we're coming to where truth will be embraced. We will have to confront our imperfections as individuals, culturally and organizationally. Maybe more important than a prophet being a constant fount of revelation and inspiration is each of us seeking revelation, truth and understanding in our own lives. We have to be searching for peace and truth in our lives all the time. Thanks for the comment, Sean. That was that was excellent. I like this perspective, this this recognition 
from a believing perspective that yes, things do change and yes, it's a slow moving ship. And this change is hard for both entrenched members and for people that are hoping for the change. Excellent that you pointed that out. One of the things that's always fascinating to me is two individuals that, uh, that I went on vacation with just recently. He and I sitting together will discuss the exact same details, the exact same ideas, the, the extensive use of, of surveys and the relationship that surveys have with revelation in the church. We can look at the exact same set of information and come to drastically different conclusions. My friend came to the conclusion that this is just the manner that this is just part of the revelation process. But when I look at this information and when many of the other listeners to the podcast look at this information, they take away a dramatically different conclusion. So I want to read some of those comments because I think those are really important to highlight as well. Rather than just focusing on the, the faithful perspective, I do want to also share a more secular view or a non-believing view. A listener named Lila commented, they don't feel they have to comply with past, past prophets. She's um, referring to the, the part of the episode where I was discussing uh, univocality and the complicated relationship that the LDS church has with univocality. She says, that's just it. It's all about the living prophet so that they can change things. Not just policies, but doctrine. It's gaslighting us to say that they have never changed any doctrines. And that's not revelation. That's just compliance with social pressure. There is no revelation in the church, period. This idea is one of the places where the leaders of the church want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to both be able to say that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that prophets won't contradict each other, while at the same time putting in emphasis on the living prophets over the past prophets, if there is any sort of discrepancy. It creates a scenario where the church seems to be manipulating information in an effort to overcomplicate the scenario. When she described it as gaslighting, I think that I think that's an accurate description for the way the church has handled the shifts in doctrines and policies over the years. This is a subject that is very important to many people. I myself, when I learned of the accurate history of the church, this was one of the this was one of the concepts that was hardest for me to grapple with is I felt betrayed. This idea of univocality was so important to the gospel that I believed in. Although I didn't have that word wasn't part of my lexicon at the time. As a missionary, I taught so many people that the church and God are the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that's demonstrably not the case. I know I'm breaking form a little bit here, and previously in my episodes I have been a bit more lenient and I've been a bit more forgiving and uh, catered a bit to the more faithful side of the belief spectrum. <laughs> One of the things that I often have to say in response to many of the comments, I am not a believer myself. The tone and 
and approach that I take to these subjects. I typically walk a fine line between faithful and a secular view on the subjects. Many listeners have reached out and tried to explain why I shouldn't be a believer anymore. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. Another listener with the the screen name C Mother of Pearl asked an, a very interesting question. And I think this kind of leads to where my mind goes on this sort of a subject. And this, this listener asked, question, if you admit to progressive revelation and consider prior pronunciations are negotiable, how is it an eternal church? And how is it any different than the Anglicans? And how are such changes not considered apostasy? This very direct question concisely explains my problem with this relationship that I've been discussing of univocality and and revelation and changing doctrines and policies. The idea of having all of the truth and being the one true church with all of the answers. This concept does not stand up to the way that the church functions on a day-to-day basis. This idea of continuing revelation and the ability to alter prior pronunciations of doctrine means that one of the two ideas would have been apostasy. I'm going to take a big one, you know, one that's pretty obvious. Uh, Brigham Young taught blood atonement that certain sins required the person to have their blood spilled on the ground in order for them to atone for their sins. When Brigham Young taught that, was he in apostasy teaching false doctrine or is the current church in apostasy teaching false doctrine that blood atonement isn't a thing? I hate to create a false dichotomy with this, but with an idea of absolute truth and saying that the church is has all truth and all revelatory power, this creates this dichotomy where Brigham Young was either in apostasy or teaching the truth. You could take any of the, the main teachings that have altered over the course of the, the history of the church and ask the same question. Which version of the church was in apostasy and which one isn't? We don't practice polygamy anymore. The priesthood ban has been lifted. We could postulate that they're the ban on LGBTQ plus members uh, receiving full blessings in the church could be lifted in the future. So which version of the church was in apostasy? That's a d- really direct line of reasoning. It's a really, um, it's a bit more critical than I typically am in my content, but I do want to finish it off and I'll, I'll bring it right back around to one of the comments that I read earlier on in the episode. And this again is from uh, the listener, Sean. I, I really liked the last sentence of what he said in his comment. He said, maybe more important than being than a prophet being a constant fount of revelation and inspiration is each of us seeking revelation, truth, and understanding in our own lives. And that, for me, is the key takeaway from all of this. 
is trying to grapple with revelation and surveys and, and changing doctrines and univocality. I was sitting there barbecuing um, some drumsticks and some hot dogs and hamburgers. We had a nice little cookout going. Sitting there with my friend, discussing the relationship between surveys and revelation. And we came to different conclusions. And then we had dinner, played some fun games, and had a great evening together. I let him share his piece and his, his ideas and his, his feelings on the subject. He let me express mine. And then we shared an excellent meal with our families. But my <laughs> middle daughter was so tired that she just slept right through dinner. <laughs> she crashed on, on her bed. And I've said it many times, but one of my favorite things about producing this podcast is the interactions I have with listeners, both believing and non-believing. One, one of my goals in this is to prevent my podcast from becoming an echo chamber I don't want just a faithful or just a non-believing perspective presented. To me, I am stretched more when I am confronted with someone who disagrees with me and I have to accept them for who they are. One of my biggest takeaways from my chat with Brian Harris, biggest takeaways I had. I said it in the end, and I tried to frame this episode kind of in that same way, where the people that work there are human beings. Just because the church doesn't work for me and I no longer believe in it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't add value to someone else's life. I recognize the harm that it does, and I, one of my motives for speaking out is to hopefully encourage change. I want to be clear that my motive isn't to burn it all down or destroy the church. My motive is to encourage it to be the best version of itself that it can. Because that's what I want for my life. I want to be the best version of me that I can. I don't expect it to ever completely vanish. And I don't want it to completely go away. There are some things that it does very, very well. Community and service being two of them. Many ex-Mormons throw out the phrase, yeah, that's not unique to Mormonism. But I will say that they do it, that they do community very well. And if they could remove some of the harmful aspects of the theology, I think it would be a very safe and excellent place for any believing person to raise their family. But it will take work for the church to get there. Thanks for listening today. If you like what I'm producing and the content that I'm putting out, please like it, subscribe to it on the various podcasting platforms, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this. If you're financially able, hey, head on over to the ramiemptumruminations.org website, click that donate button, send me a dollar or two or whatever. If you can't afford to, that's fine too. Wherever you find yourself out there today, sipping a cup of coffee, getting ready to head out to work, I hope that you have an excellent day. <laughs>